from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today is World Autism Day. Buildings around the world will be lit with blue lights. You likely all know someone who has autism, whether you realize it or not yet there's still struggles finding the proper services. It's a lifelong disorder, and we should do a better job of helping those in need. So today we'll talk about the signs and symptoms of autism and where to go for help. You can call in with your questions about autism on this really important day. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. Well, today is World Autism Day and buildings all over the U.S. and the world will be lit with blue lights. Um, Why do we need this? We're going to talk about today the frequency that we see autism now in our society and why you need to know about this and why we need a World Autism Day. And this whole month is about autism also, so you'll be hearing more about that. You likely know someone who has autism. It may be your child, it may be your grandchild, or it may be a friend. Um, Some of you may think that you don't know anyone with autism, but you do. Um, It occurs in one in 59 individuals. So you know you run across an individual who has autism spectrum disorder. But what we need to talk about today is that people who have children and adults who have autism spectrum disorder continue to find have problems finding the proper services it's a lifelong disorder it doesn't go away but it can get much much better and there are many many individuals out there with autism who are very productive citizens who function beautifully in school and who have relationships and not only are able to live their lives independently but contribute heavily to our lives in many different ways. So today I do want to talk about signs and symptoms of autism and any question you have about that, um, where you can go for help if you have some concerns. But I also want to talk about um, some of the troublesome areas that individuals with autism spectrum disorder Uh, have and how perhaps they can reach out for help. So let me tell you a little bit about um, this World Autism Awareness Day. It's it's pretty fun. This is the 12th time uh, this has occurred. Um, originally, it was European countries that participated more in the, the day, and uh, the U.S. has gotten into it pretty, pretty heavily, and um, 
participates also. The spreading spreading awareness is is just so incredibly important because this is our big problem. I've said it once. I'm going to say it again. Despite the high prevalence, one in 59 individuals, boys more common than girls, four to one, um, but still um, girls, young girls and women who have it experience sometimes even more significant uh, difficulties. So there, there are technology options that help manage some of the neurodevelopmental issues that people have with autism spectrum disorder. And this year, the emphasis has been on the technology piece of autism spectrum disorder treatment um, because technologies are out there to help these individuals with uh, some of the communication difficulties they have. But probably less than half of all the population diagnosed with this condition have access to those type of technologies. So just extremely important to try to make sure that individuals who have ASD, and I'm going to call it that for short, um, autism spectrum disorder, ASD, um, that's why it's so important for them to know that there are those resources out there. I always like to talk about a little bit of tidbit information that you may not know. Um, the word autism comes from a Greek word, autos, which means self. And so autism means a person who is somewhat removed from social interaction or isolated self. So that's sort of the hallmark of individuals with aut autism spectrum disorder or ASD is that they, they tend to be um, introverted into themselves. Uh, they have trouble with social interaction and social communication. That's one of them. Uh, the other big issues that individuals with autism have are uh, a restricted repertoire of interest and, and often repetitive behaviors. So uh, to have autism, it's not just restriction in social interaction, but also those other two issues. It, there is a broad range of ASD, uh, a an individual can have an intellectual disability and significant severe learning problems, or they can be in the superior range of intelligence. And when I said at the beginning of this show that you might have an individual who is very bright, a scientist who has contributed great things, um, could still have ASD. So keep that in mind as we um, move along. Back early on when autism was originally described, not, not by a canner, as some people think, but a Bleuler, a Swiss psychiatrist, he started talking about it back in 1911. And um, and then in the 1940s is when it became more accepted as a diagnosis, but very restricted as a diagnosis. So only the most severe individuals with ASD 
um, were diagnosed. And there was still a lot of crossover that people tried to make between schizophrenia and, and autism or Asperger's. Now we know that um, we've finally separated the diagnoses out. ASD is not um, the same thing as schizophrenia. They're two completely different uh, disorders. And so individuals with ASD um, have the socialization issues, but not hallucinations and other things that individuals with schizophrenia have. So do you know the symptoms of autism? Um, so you've heard it. Why do you think that it's missed so often? Why is it that many times older children are diagnosed um, and not as early as we know we can make the diagnosis as early as two years? Um, why do you think sometimes we are so late and things are missed? Well, um, I have the pleasure of having a parent um, Laura Beth from Jackson, who has called in to talk to us a little bit about her experience and her child, um, who has ASD. And uh, hi, Laura Beth. Thanks for calling hey. in. Thank you for having me. So talk to us a little bit about your son and, and when the symptoms first appeared and then how long it took for you to get him diagnosed. I, I think our audience needs to hear a little bit about that. Okay, my son's eight now. His name is Frazier, and he was diagnosed at three years and ten months. And we Fairly first, early, right? Um, fairly for, early. Yeah. But I, um, I first mentioned to our pediatrician at his two-year-old visit that I would say until 18 months, he hit every milestone, and I really didn't notice anything different. He was my second child and pretty similar to my first. And whenever um, we got to this two-year-old checkup, I remember when he was asking all the questions about you know, how much speech he had, mm -hmm. and I said, you know, he really doesn't have near as much speech as my previous child. I said, he's really hard to understand, and, you know, he just does not have very much vocabulary. I said, he probably probably only has about 15 words mm -hmm. and he said well he's a second child he's a boy let's wait a little while before we do anything like speech therapy um you know since he's hit all the other milestones mm -hmm. well we brought it back up at two and a half and he had really made no strides since the two-year-old checkup so at two and a half we ended up getting speech but I as a, I'm a nurse, and so I started researching, and I saw, you know, the number one cause of speech delay when, when you're, you know, researching was ASD. And so I asked him very pointedly, do you think this is what we're dealing with? And he was like, I really don't think so, but, um, you know, we'll get the speech evaluation. So we, we got the speech evaluation, and they said he was on a 15-month level, and this is at two and a half, so mm. we're significantly behind at this point, Right, and um, so they suggested getting his hearing checked, so we did that. We got a new set of tubes because he had had frequent ear infections, and we were hoping, you know, getting him in preschool and getting tubes and getting speech therapy was all going to help, and um, by three, we were just having major behavior issues, major meltdowns. He had really had no progress in, in his speech, even with speech therapy, even being in preschool. Um, and you could just notice a distinct difference between him and his 
peers when he was in the regular classroom and, and uh, the preschool setting. So, Laura Beth, talk to us about the differences um, as far as the socialization aspect. Now, obviously, children with speech-language delay will have a little more trouble with socialization, and all children with speech-language delay do not have autism. Right. So what was the difference beyond what kept making you think there was something else besides autism? Uh, besides speech language delay the littlest thing could set him off and Mm -hmm. and he would get so upset over the smallest thing he didn't transition well from one um one thing to the next he was very ritualistic like we had to walk the same way out of the Mm -hmm. preschool every Mm -hmm. single day he wanted to press the button he wanted to stop at the water fountain i mean we had to do things the exact same way every time we left if his teacher wasn't there that day for some reason you know it was a total meltdown he didn't want to stay, or he you know, he would cling to the other teacher all day. Um, he played. He kept by himself a lot. He, um, you know, he didn't have the language to communicate with the others like they did, and so that made it harder for him as well. So it just, um, but really, the meltdowns and not that just was... like a temper tantrum, but that was probably the biggest thing, and just not being able to transition easily. Yeah, um, and. And that loud noises would get him upset in the classroom and um, when it would get too loud and stuff like that. And the, the teacher had a early childhood development background, so she was aware of that as well. So um, and then the speech therapist was actually coming into the classroom and she was actually able to see him interact and um, didn't think it was normal either. So at our three year old checkup, um, I was very adamant that we get further testing at that point. And he agreed. And, you know, he still, he's like, I just don't really think that's what we're dealing with. And I was like, I really do. And mm-hmm. I was persistent. And I said, I'm, I don't, you know, I just don't feel like this is just, you know, behaviors related to speech delay. I think that there's something right. else going on. And I said, I had an older child too. That helped me know if, it, if that had been my first child, I may not have known as well, but I had a child that was four years older and I knew that this was just you knew the differences right yeah. and my husband was a school teacher and I was a nurse so I, we had enough knowledge to know this is not a typical you know three-year-old child so it took a good um he was it took about four months to get in for our first evaluation and then it took about six more months to get in with the psychologist who ultimately diagnosed him yeah. we still got speech the whole time and then once he was diagnosed we were able to get him moved to Madison County has a special needs preschool. And he completely changed after we got into an environment where they knew how to support him in the best way. That was a much smaller classroom with only about five kids. And um, they just knew how to handle him. And after that, he just thrived. And we've gone, you know, up and up since then. And we started ABA therapy when he was about five. We so let's talk. Let, I'm going to stop you there for a okay. minute just for the listeners. ABA therapy is the applied behavior analysis therapy. Yes. That is uh, tried and true therapy we know is is helpful in children with ASD. And that's something that we've really been been trying to expand those services. Right. And, and Laura Beth, you, you have done a great job of pointing out the symptoms that parents need to look for, the social interaction, um, the sensory issues, the resistance to change or the difficulty, that restricted repertoire of all those things are really 
hallmarks of ASD. So that's when you should look. So your persistence um, is to be applauded. That's what parents should do. We are working hard to make sure that our providers out there now are reacting earlier because... um, The excuse as this is a second child or this is a boy is one that we do not like to use uh, because it delays further evaluation. Now, you did get him into speech therapy early on, and that's that's very, very important. And getting that hearing checked should be sort of the very first thing anybody does when you have a concern about speech-language delay, because even though you think your child hears, you don't know how well they hear. So really, really important. Um, I'm looking at our um, producer, Jay. May I go on a little bit longer? He's nodding yes, because... Laura Beth, another thing that I want you to do today is is tell our listeners about the parent support group that yes. that's out there for parents who have difficulty with children. So when we were first diagnosed, I mean, we were told, okay, get ABA, um, you know, and I knew no one else that had a child with autism at the time. I knew. I didn't even know what ABA was, and at the time there was only one clinic here, and so we were on a you know a pretty lengthy waiting list, which right. possibly at the time that was when it didn't cover past age eight, and so all I was thinking was by the time we get in, we may not even get any services and or whatever. Right. So I was very nervous, anxious <laughs> because that was what was told to me was this is the best thing you can do for your child, and I knew no one except for um, I had a friend that had an older child with autism. That was it. And she lived in California. So she growing or when he was growing up, so she couldn't really help me in that way. So I met, um, Dr. Yeager actually came and spoke at the preschool at Madison County special needs preschool one night. And, um, I met a group of moms there and they all kind of had similar stories where we didn't really have any form of support. It was hard to meet other parents with children with autism because even in a special needs school, you don't know what what the other children have, and, you know, it's not discussed, so it was hard to know. So anyway, we got together. It was about three of us, and um, we got together at Corner Bakery in Madison several years ago Mm -hmm. and um, just realized how great of a need it was. I think we had about 10 parents on that first night. Um, and so the support group has just grown since then because it is such a lonely feeling when you first get diagnosed, and especially if you don't know, you know anyone else that can help guide you. And there's so many things you have to do when they first get diagnosed and, and um, so much you know support that they need to go ahead and get that will make such a huge difference in their lives if you can get it early. So, so if you don't know what to do, you know, it, it's just a hard place to be. So our support group has a, um, a Facebook component as well. And so even people that don't live in the Jackson area that still live in the state of Mississippi can benefit because they can ask questions and we can say, hey, yeah, we were there and this is what we did. And it just really makes a huge difference. So, Laura Beth, tell us how our listeners can access your Facebook. Um, so it's called Facts Group. F-A-C-T-S, and it is, that stands for Families with Autism Coming Together for Support. And um, you have to ask to join. There's a couple of questions you have to answer because Mm -hmm. it is a closed group, and we want 
everyone that's in the group to feel safe and feel like they can ask questions and not be, you know, in an unsafe environment. So we sure. um, we make sure that everyone that joins the group is, you know, actually a parent with a child with autism or like disabilities like Down syndrome. They have a lot of sensory issues as well, and early intervention helps other types of disabilities as well. So we are open to other, um, you know, families that need assistance as well that have, you know, Right. Other conditions, other conditions. and and there are certainly um, other disorders where autism is more common. You mentioned Down right. syndrome, a little more common in Down syndrome and children with fragile X syndrome. Exactly. So there there might be some crossover there too. So, um, Laura Beth, thank you so much. I know you are a busy RN, and I need to let you get out of here. Um, But I really appreciate you calling in and telling us about your son and sharing with us. Um, Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do to support other parents. Absolutely. Well, this is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about autism spectrum disorder. Uh, It's autism spectrum disorder it's the world day for it uh today Uh, we want to hear from you call in with your questions or comments or issues or maybe services that you have out there that you want to share with the listeners you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org we'll be right back This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening on this World Autism Awareness Day. That's what we're talking about today, autism spectrum disorder. Um, what it looks like. Um, why do so many individuals have it? One in 59 in the U.S., according to the Centers for Disease Control. Um, it affects boys more often than girls, but um, when one is affected, it can be a significant issue for for that individual, for the family, trying to get a proper diagnosis, um, trying to get the proper treatments. Um, can be hard and burdensome. So um, in our second part of this show, I want to talk a little bit more about the symptoms of autism and the workup that one should be expecting. Um, Many times in my practice, I see children who are referred in for possible autism when they don't really have it. It's a diagnosis that you don't want to give unless the child really meets the criteria. But at the same time, it's also a diagnosis that is needed to make sure that you qualify for the appropriate services when you think you might have it. So I 
I want you to call in with any questions or issues or stumbles that you've had along the way with your child with autism or maybe some recommendations that you have for other parents or some questions about what you need to do next if you suspect that your child or your grandchild or someone you love has autism, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We've got open lines. All right. Well, I want to go next. Um, we have Dr. Courtney Walker here um, from the Center for the Advancement of Youth, who you've heard from before. She's joining us today to talk a little bit with us about the diagnosis of autism and the services that one really needs to be looking for. So, hi, Courtney. Thanks for calling. Hi, Dr. Butchers. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit more. You heard from, um, I, I hope you were able to hear Larbeth um, and her call in. She was um, a mother who started at 18 months suspecting her child had uh, something some delays, delays in speech language, but something a little bit more. And she had to push a bit to get her evaluation that that happened around three and a half. So um, let's talk to our listeners a little bit about a little bit more about the symptoms and then what kind of workup uh, we we do in in our Center for the Advancement of Youth. Yeah, um, so I first just want to speak a little bit to that, that mom and her journey, and I, I have to give her a kudos for keep pushing for her child because a lot of um, the experts in the field um, of autism are pushing for more evaluation and diagnosis at a younger age, and what they're finding is that these symptoms um, really do come online very early in life. Um, and we're still trying to catch up with our evaluation procedures to really um, be able to assess this in younger kids. And, and we are. We, we, we are there. Um, so right. in, in younger kids or just in any kid, a, a workup that I, would, that I would think would be the gold standard would be um, uh, uh, kind of a standardized tool that assesses for autism. So. Not not just eyeballing it, not just right. a, you know a provider saying no, they have good eye contact. No, that that really doesn't go far enough. So a more standardized assessment tool, one that I like, is called the ADOS. Um, it's it's used quite frequently, and it's oftentimes considered a, a gold standard in autism evaluation. Um, but in addition to that, you also get uh, reports from the parents, um, and then you get kind of a read of just the developmental level of the kid, too, and you can do that through standardized testing as well. But I will say the number one rule for autism evaluation is that it never is just one thing. And so if you go to a a provider and they just do one thing and say it is or it isn't, that to me is not a gold standard. It's more you need a comprehensive, multiple-component evaluation to come at that diagnosis. 
Absolutely. And and included in that, as you as we were talking earlier in the show, uh, a vision, a hearing, making sure the child hears and sees that there is no medical issue that could be causing some of these issues, making sure that there's not some sort of genetic disorder that's related, because as we also were talking about, there are several genetic disorders that um, have a more common incidence of symptoms of autism. So having that medical provider who really knows how to do an evaluation in addition to uh, a psychologist like Courtney who's well-trained, and then, of course, always a speech-language pathologist is important. Always. Always. (laughs) Always. And many times, you know, uh, Laura Beth mentioned that her son had some sensory issues so many times, I know the the behavioral intervention that that you do, the psychologists do, and ABA therapy often will deal with some of those sensory issues. But I know occupational therapists often are highly trained to help with this. Many are if they're trained in child issues, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And typically, I think, um, so when we're thinking of the uh, care team for a kid um, that is on the spectrum, it involves everyone, just like you said, it involves medical, speech, OT, a lot of the times, psychology or behavioral health. And so it's really a team approach to care rather than just one um, intervention by itself. And so what we know from the research is that this interventions in multiple areas, right, rather than just one, is typically better for outcomes because there are a whole lot of other things that that come along with um, autism spectrum sometimes. And so a a good team-based approach to treatment is always best. Right. And I I know that there are parents out there who have not been able to access ABA therapy and they're in a panic, but there are other therapies um, if you can't access ABA therapy at present, that can be helpful, like the speech therapy, like the occupational therapy. Um, a good teacher who's well-trained in special education many times will use some of the behavioral techniques that are incorporated in ABA therapy, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and if they don't have access to ABA and say they are involved in speech or occupational therapy, and if the therapist allows, I always would argue parents go in and sit in on a session and get the, the speech or the occupational therapist to teach you what they're doing so you can do those skills at home as well. And it's always better to practice in multiple areas rather than just at that therapist's office. So sometimes that, that can be a good... Um, kind of backup, too, for parents who may not have access to ABA. Absolutely. Okay, Courtney, we have another caller. We're going to go to Anita, and um, if you can hang on, we'd like that. But hi, Anita. Thanks for calling. How are you? I'm great. You are somewhere in Mississippi, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, thanks for calling. Do you have some questions or comments about autism? No, just a, a question, sure. uh, a concern. Recently diagnosed a grandchild with autism. What can you do uh, initially uh, when you get this information? What would be the first step? Well, um, 
the first thing is to make sure that everybody understands what the diagnosis and what it means and that you really have a clear developmental level of where the child is. Um, Anita, at, uh, your grandchild, how old is he or she? Uh, he will be three. Oh, good. So that's a, a good early diagnosis. Um, were you did did you believe that he had a, a good as as Doctor Walker was mentioning as we were talking through that multidisciplinary evaluation uh, done on him so that you you really uh, looked at all the different specialty specialty areas that need to be looked at. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's, uh, they've gone through quite a bit, so. Uh, but again, I'm I'm not in the home with him, so I just want to be prepared. I mean, what would be a good thing to start doing now? Um, not being in the home with him, right? I think not being in the home with the the child as a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, um, the very best thing you can do is to get a clear understanding of what autism spectrum disorder is to really understand that there are some behaviors that can be at times um, just to speak frankly irritating that you know the child has the resistance to change has difficulty with transition sometimes um, simple noises uh, will cause a what seems to be an overwhelming reaction to the child. So to be able sure. to develop some of a, a, a clear understanding and then to find out uh, how the parents are dealing with these things, what the therapist mm-hmm. recommendations are, so you can make sure the whole family, uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, others around are uh, have an understanding, are being accepting, and trying to help with the implementation of the therapy. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's hard. It's yeah, yeah, difficult. It's a challenge. It yeah. is. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I, if I could just jump in. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, there's a couple things. So in those multidisciplinary evaluations, typically uh, the caregivers get a report at the end of that, and the report may have recommendations on where to start, so that might be a good place. But the other thing I wanted to say, too, is that this diagnosis, just it doesn't change who your grandchild is. Um, mm-hmm. It might help explain some of their quirks or something that, you know, might not have been um, or you were just kind of questioning about. But, you know, your grandson mm-hmm. is still your grandson. And so still sure. enjoy him like you have been enjoying him for the, the first, yeah. you know, he's three. So for all three years of his life. Um, uh-huh. The other thing I wanted to say is if you haven't already, autismspeaks.org has a really nice toolkit for families of kids who are newly diagnosed. Okay. Um, and they have one, too, for kids under five. And that can also be a, a nice place to start just kind of step by step. What do I do next? And so it's um, if you don't already know it, it's autismspeaks.org. And there's just a, yes. a link on that web page that says newly diagnosed. And you click on that, okay. and it gives you some tools to help you get started. 
That's that's great information. Autism Speaks is a fabulous resource. They they're Mm -hmm. doing their group funds a lot of awesome. Uh, research that's going on. They have a lot of parent and professional information on their website. So I would encourage you to really take some time on that and any other listeners who are um, out there needing a little bit further information on autism. Anita, I hope that helped. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks. I appreciate everything. Thanks Bye-bye. so much, and good luck. So we're going to take our next break, and when we get back, we'll talk more about autism spectrum disorder, what it is, what maybe could be the causes, or how much do we still need to learn. Give us a call to join in the conversation or ask your questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's 877-672-7464, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about autism spectrum disorder. We have Dr. Courtney Walker on with us today, giving us some extra information about uh, evaluation and treatment modalities. If you're an individual who has autism spectrum disorder, um, would love to hear from you. Would love to hear from you if you have some questions about autism or some comments about perhaps some services that are out there that you've accessed or maybe some of the difficulties that you've had. Maybe we can help connect you to that. So please give us a call at that one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the causes. So it seems that autism is genetically based in some way. Uh, it does tend to run in families to some degree, but not as highly as many other disorders, and there's not a single identified gene, though there's some, um, some genes out there that have been, been looked at. Uh, there's some metabolic causes. There's some questions about some chemical causes. Um, that perhaps may be out there, environmental factors, but not any one thing has been identified, which is a little bit difficult and makes it hard for families. Um, I think so many times parents blame themselves in some way, and that needs to stop. That is of no use. There are some um, 
age-related issues. Older parents sometimes have a little bit higher incidence of children with autism spectrum disorder, but we do know that there are a lot of healthy births that come out of um, parents who are are a little bit older, over 40, is what I'm talking about. So, um, again, trying to find a cause. There's a lot of excellent research going on out there right now, but um, nothing absolutely identifiable. Um, Always want to stay away from any substance use or substance abuse. Alcohol, um, with alcohol intake excessive, there is um, an increased incidence, too, of individuals with symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. All right. Well, let's go on back to the phones. Let's go first to um, Linda in Flowood. Hi, Linda. Thanks for calling. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Talk to us about your thoughts, questions. I have a question about, I have a nine-year-old grandson with autism spectrum, and uh, he was originally diagnosed with Asperger's before the diagnosis changed. Mm -hmm. Um, My question has to do with the third grade reading exam at the end of school, Mm. and that these exams are... Very often, um, it's inferential reading. He has to read and right. come to a conclusion, and that's very difficult for him. And what we're really talking about here is we're we're talking about a child who is in the gifted program. He is also in special education um, to receive his services that he needs. So, I think my question has to do with. There's some concern as to whether he will actually pass this reading exam. Here, yeah. Because of the type of reading it requires of a mind that doesn't work quite yeah. the way that every other child on his age level. Works. Yeah, yeah, and and that is absolutely one of the issues. Children with ASD often are very concrete in their thinking, and like you said, the inferential. Um, that you often have to do with um, uh, reading can be very problematic. Um, And that also, you're pointing out something that we talked about earlier, that children with ASD um, can have superior intelligence and still have ASD. So it doesn't mean they have an intellectual disability. Um, I'm going to turn to Dr. Walker because I know she has a comment about that sort of third grade reading gate um, because many times it's misinterpreted and it will cause children who already have a special ed ruling to be held back. So, Courtney, you want to talk a little bit? My question has to do with are there any um, legal rights or protections Mm -hmm. um, to keep him from being held back in the third grade because Mm -hmm. of... That's a a really excellent question and one that I don't know the exact answer to. Um, So, I mean, I I think we could spend all day talking about some of the um, just frustrations around um, that testing model in our schools and how that can not be the best fit for kids who have different needs. does he, uh, does he have an IEP? You said he has an IEP. 
Okay. I'm having a lot of difficulty hearing you on my cell phone. Okay. Linda, the the question... Yeah, the question is, are you hearing me? Okay. I'm hearing you fine. Yeah. So the question is, does he have an IEP? And you said he does. So um, this is one of the one of the issues that has come up often. Once you have an IEP, a special ed ruling, you are not supposed to be held back in a grade uh, because you already have a reason for having difficulty. And right. again, so I would strongly suggest that you go ahead. Or your daughter, our son, uh, go ahead and meet with the school district about this and start um, discussing the fact that you do not want him held back. Many times children with ASD, if they're high functioning, um, if they're held back, will get very frustrated because much of the information that they're having to go over is is difficult uh, to review because they already know it. It's mm-hmm. the the uh, the reading comprehension issue questions that are often um, the problem. And and many times it's not that they're not comprehending what they're reading, but they're very compre- concrete in what they're reading. And so um, that's, I would encourage you to meet with the school or have, have the family meet with the school as yeah, soon as possible. Yep. Yep. And then the, there is another resource um, that can I mean, I think it goes without saying that this pro- the whole uh, IEP process is a little difficult for families to navigate. Um, so there is an organization called FamilyVoices.org that has a um, kind of an advocacy um, component that helps families understand yeah. what their rights are um, in regards yeah. to public school services and can advocate, can help you advocate a little bit more for your child and right. say, um, um, yeah, it's, I think it's pretty helpful. So that would be familyvoices.org. Great. Okay. All I right, Linda, I hope that was helpful. Um, thanks for calling. Let's go on to Robert. We have a couple of calls we want to get to before the end of the show. Robert and Pontotoc. Robert, you have some questions about ODD and autism. Uh, yes, I do. I just have uh, really one, and I'll take my answer off the air. Sure. Uh, I'm wondering if there's a relationship between uh, oppositional defiance disorder and uh, ADD or autism. Mm-hmm. Well, um, actually, oppositional defiant disorder, or ODD, is a, a disorder when children, just for our listening audience, um, when, when children uh, do not obey adults or follow rules so they they may talk back they may refuse to follow through um, they may um, in in general they're just oppositional to direction from adults not just to parents but across the board so um, many yes you can have that comorbidity certainly in ADHD and and also in autism spectrum disorder but many times children with ASD are thought 
uh, to be oppositional when part of their disorder is that they have difficulty with transition. They have an obsessive interest and will have difficulty letting go of something. And so many times it's, it's not that they are actually oppositional. It's that it makes them very uncomfortable and it's very difficult for them. The same thing goes if they have some sensory issues. So it may be that they are having these significant sensory issues um, and are unable to comply because it literally hurts their ears or hurts their eyes um, to do what they're asked to do. Or they can't wear the clothes because they they truly um, feel horribly uncomfortable. So yep. you want to make sure you separate the two out. Yep. And if I could jump in real quick, I agree with everything you said, Dr. Buttress. And um, one time, another thing that could explain some something that looks like oppositionality and autism is just an inability to kind of understand verbal commands. Um, and so if there is that language impairment, there might okay. just be difficulty understanding. But the good thing about some of the treatments that we do is that it addresses both. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think, thank you so much, Robert, for that question. Good one. Um, we have uh, Dr. Fulweiler in Tupelo, Mississippi, who has called in. Hi, thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for having my call. Um, I just caught the end of the show because I've been working this morning, but yeah. <laughs> uh, glad, glad to hear that y'all are talking about these issues. So that's kind of the primary area of my practice is um, diagnostic testing for autism and related disorders. And Super. I'm relatively new to Mississippi, so um, really good to kind of hear about all this stuff kind of kind of being discussed. Um, and everything I heard, I think, is, you know, I really agree with and really appreciate the information y'all are, y'all are providing. There was just one thing that I kind of wanted to, to comment on. And, Absolutely. Um, I work, you know, I, I do diagnosis, and, and, and the earlier the better, as, as y'all talked about, kind of screening and identifying these issues. But, but most of what I do is with kind of the older kids that, you know, are, are relatively underrepresented in, in research and, yes. and, and the stuff that we've done that we haven't been following um, a lot of these kids to adulthood. Um, and so I do, you know, that's kind of the, the focus of my therapy practices with young adults and adults who are on the spectrum. Um, and, and, I think Autism Speaks is a great organization and a great resource, and they've come a long way, at least in my career, in terms of kind of some of the, the ways that they've changed and things like that. But I just kind of wanted to put a plug in for the um, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, um, which oh. is a really great organization that is um, comprised and sort of driven by individuals who are on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. and provides them sort of a different um, perspective, voice, and um, resources that, that are useful. So a lot of my adult clients really... Um, have have gotten a lot of good information and use out of out of their that, that um, network of information and resources. It's their website is just autisticadvocacy.org, um, but it's just something a little bit different that I think um, it's important to make sure that we kind of represent the views of people that um, might be different in terms of their development and um, aren't exactly neurotypical. So, um, but like I said, really appreciate what y'all are doing. I just had that that comment. Thank you so much for your call. I'm glad to know you're up there. And, you know, we have yeah. such limited services for older individuals, the adolescent and above. And so it's so nice, Dr. Fulweiler. Um, can you just quickly tell us how people might could get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, the, on the Psychology Today listing, you know, that's kind of 
Um, okay. An easy way to find me. Uh, Psychology my, my, Today. My, Got yeah, it. My, my practice is uh, Cardinal Clinical Consulting, and there's a website for that. But um, the Autism Center we have here, the Autism Center of North Mississippi here. Yeah, in it's a great um, one. Yeah, it's great. And yeah. they mostly see younger kids, so that so they've been, you know, we've been kind of good kind of to compliment one another. All right. Well, we're at the end of the show. I really appreciate you for calling in. Thanks to our producer, Jay, our call screener, Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio. 